Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, your one-stop shop for premium film waffle. Uh, I'm Joe Gastineau and joining me via satellite as always is Ed Davis. Hello sir, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm re-acclimatising to being on this side of the Atlantic because I came home and uh, visited various people in England including your good self and your lovely wife who very kindly put me up for a night in Sheffield mm. uh, and I'm I'm very slowly getting back to sort of a normal sleeping pattern over here. Currently I am waking up at about half six in the morning every night, which is uh, not something I tend to like to do. No, it's a, it's a grim time in the morning, is that. Um, you don't want to do that too much. I, I should point out to uh, the listeners at home uh, that we did record this episode in, in the same room together. Uh, as Ed just said, we were in the same continent briefly um, recently, and uh, yeah, we, as in true shot reverse shot fashion, I fucked it up technically, and uh, <laughs> we were left with a recording which was clear but so quiet that you just couldn't hear anything. Uh, it was like two church mice uh, rambling on incoherently about films, and no one wants to hear that, do they? Yeah, two church mice that had just woken up. Having been in the pub the night before, <laughs> yes, we 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 did make the foolish attempt, the foolish decision to record it at eight in the morning. Um, so yeah, generally not a good idea. So we're re-recording it now, um, and um, it is a kind of an occasion. This podcast it's our first podcast of 2014, but it's also our 50th episode. We're 50 years old, Ed. How did we manage that? I'm not sure. I think. Um just through perseverance and stubbornness and not letting a ocean get between us that's kind of a big uh, a big part of it uh, an ocean not letting an ocean or our constant failed attempts to record yeah i think that we've got 50 episodes in the bag uh well touchwood this one <laughs> might make it hopefully it does um but i would estimate no exaggeration or kind of like uh, facetiousness on my part probably between 15 and 20 failed episodes yeah, I was because um, in our previous attempt to record this episode, you asked uh, if I ever thought we'd get to fifty episodes. And thinking in it, I think I probably uh, feel like we already have. <laughs> yeah, we're this, <laughs> so we, we, this is probably number we, seventy-five. In 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 all fairness. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we hit that mark somewhere in sort of summer yeah. of last year. Yeah, but we made it, and. Um, uh, we're going to use this episode uh, to announce something uh, that we thought we'd do uh, to kind of mark our 50th episode. Um, but like we, we did last year, we did the Ages of Man podcast series. We did four episodes all kind of tied together loosely when we explored the Ages of Man in cinema. Uh, and we kind of enjoyed that. It was nice to have a little kind of through line to what we talked about rather than just kind of hastily coming up with an idea the day before and running with it. Um, and this year we thought seen as uh, we enjoyed doing that and also we've got to 50 and perhaps you know we're getting kind of uh, we feel like we've got tenure and we can be kind of like complacent and arrogant about it that we do something quite kind of self-indulgent um, and we're deciding to do a 10 part series this time over the course of 2014 that we like to call the shot reverse shot alternate 100 uh, what on earth is that Ed? it sounds impressive it does and it's going to be a very impressive undertaking that people will be impressed by and which will get get us tons of awards I'm sure mm. uh, if they give awards for podcasts um, and uh, basically what it is is uh, we want to kind of come up with a canon 
of uh, great films similar to the IMDb top 250 or the uh, but not you know voted on by morons and well two uh, morons or, oh yeah <laughs> a, a concentration of morons mm-hmm. which I believe is the collective now yeah um or like the BFI top 100 but voted on fewer people who are less qualified than the people that make that list mm-hmm. um, so what we want to do is we want to kind of come come up with a list of 100 films that we consider really great amongst the greatest ever made but to differentiate ourselves from those lists because we don't want to just sit here and say Chinatown that's really good isn't it you know uh, we're going to restrict ourselves and say that the films we nominated cannot appear on either the BFI top 100 or the IMDb Top 250. So that basically rules out uh, anything that's released in the last two years, because <laughs> that's pretty much what <laughs> makes up the IMDb Top 250, um, and anything really highly critically regarded. So on this list, you're not going to get any of the Lord of the Rings films, or like Batman films, or you're not going to get um, uh, Tokyo Story, or um, The Godfather, or Chinatown. So we really are kind of cutting out... Um, quite a, a kind of chunk of very well regarded and also well liked films so we're going to have to go kind of off piste and uh, pick some films that like we really love that are also really great that perhaps haven't got the attention they deserve yeah I mean I think that uh, it, it, there's a lot of because we, we, drop, we drew up a kind of preliminary list of the first 50 uh, recently and uh, there's loads of stuff that isn't really featured on either of those lists which is either stuff that kind of falls through the cracks because it's not as kind of well known or just because uh, maybe certain directors made films that are more widely known but perhaps they made sort of or certainly filmmakers, someone like Sidney Lumet who made quite a large number of really great films and you know we talked about him in the past as someone who had more than his fair share of masterpieces but some of them just don't get talked about so much, so much just because they're not as widely available and so we think that they're worth kind of discussing at length and kind of shining a light on to compel people to check them out because you know there's lots of great films out there and it, I think uh, the the lists we've described do a good job of covering kind of the sort of main sort of canon of the really popular ones and we want to try and help sort of fill in the blanks a little bit yeah so over the course of 2014 kind of probably like once a month we'll be lifting a rock and shining a light underneath and seeing what kind of multi-legged creature scuttles around uh, for your delectation Um, so that should be a lot of fun our first one will be in February and that will run all the way through to November um, if we don't get tired of it Um, but I'm sure we won't (laughs) because there's a lot of great films that we're going to discuss so that's a little look ahead to what we've got in store in 2014 Um, but the primary focus of this episode is to talk about what 2014 has in store uh, for audiences uh, in the multiplex and the art house alike Uh, this is our slightly delayed 2014 preview 2013 was a super year as we discussed in the last episode 2014 also shaping up to look quite good Um, but I think probably the the, the good place to start with uh, our preview is the films that we included in our 2013 preview last year this same time last year but they haven't actually yet arrived (laughs) we expected them to arrive at some point in the last 12 months and we're still holding on on for them Uh, the kind of the biggest one I think is probably Monuments Men isn't it Ed? Yeah Monuments Men which is the new film directed by George Clooney uh, 
set in World War Two about a, an elite team based on a true story, an elite team who were sent uh, into into Europe to try and recover sort of works of art that were earmarked for destruction by the Nazis. And uh, judging from the trailer, it looks like it could be quite a lot of fun, quite a lot of fun dialogue, and uh, just a, a nice kind of theme in it about you know the nest how art is kind of the important part of civilization and the uh the fight against the nazis wasn't just for freedom it was to kind of protect artistic freedom and expression uh from sort of fascism so i think there's a seriousness to it as well and uh, it's got a, an amazing cast you've got clooney you've got damon you've got uh john mcgarden you've got john goodman um You've got uh, Bill Murray in a rare non-Wes Anderson role, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Bob Balaban, who doesn't work enough. You know, it's just it looks like it's going to be really good. It was due to come out in December to kind of be in the Oscar race for this year, but uh, Clooney uh, held it back because he needed time to finish editing it. So it's coming out in February instead. Uh, but I'm I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, similarly held back because uh, it wasn't quite finished is a very intriguing film. Um, called Foxcatcher which we also talked about uh, last year, it's the new Bennett Miller film is that right? Yeah, Bennett Miller who did uh, Capote and Moneyball so he's got two Best Picture nominations under his belt which isn't a a bad record to have Um, this one a sort of very intense drama in which uh, Channing Tatum uh, plays the brother of a uh, murdered uh, weightlifter uh, played by Mark Ruffalo and uh, his uh, and uh, Steve Carell plays the sort of unhinged uh, person responsible for the death so it's got a lot of people kind of playing against type in it and uh, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated by it because I think uh, Miller is a really interesting filmmaker and uh, Carell is someone who often doesn't really push himself dramatically so to get a role like that seems like it could be really uh, fascinating yeah and uh, the last f- uh, film of our kind of triumvirate of uh, of uh, delayed trains as it were is uh, well pun intended because we're talking about Snowpiercer which is a film about a futuristic train that cuts through ice a uh, Korean film uh, which has already kind of set the box office alight in Korea but uh, is kind of caught up in legal wrangles over here I believe yeah it's uh, by Bong Joon-ho who also did uh, The Host and Memories of Murder, which is a film I watched for the first time very recently and is uh, quite amazing. Uh, you uh, kind of forced me to kind of catch up with it because you've always talked about it as being sort of a great masterpiece, and uh, you were wrong. Yeah, it's a very good film. It's pretty fucking good, Memories of Murder. Uh, and it's his sort of English language debut because it's got an, a multinational cast, so it's going to be in several languages. And uh, as, as you say, it's uh, torn up the box office in, uh, in Korea, but uh, over here, I think there's there's a lot of discussion over the length of the film because it's being distributed by the Weinstein Company and Harvey Weinstein has a sort of a predilection for cutting films by about 20 minutes and uh, that there was some controversy about that with the Grandmaster last year and seems to be some with Snowpiercer this year so I think that might be holding it up uh, as to why it's not coming out but hopefully it will see the inside of cinemas in the West at some point in the next yeah. 12 months it would be nice if it did I mean it's it played the festival circuit and the people we know have seen it have said it's bloody marvellous uh, so you know it would be very very uh, disappointing to not see it soon um, 
I suppose the, t- the two kind of films that we're both looking forward to the most uh, this year are uh, films. Uh, we've got two films coming out, um, both directed by one each of the uh, the famous Anderson brothers. Um, we've got uh, Wesley Anderson and Paul Thomas have both got films out this year. Uh, Wes has got a film out called The Grand Budapest Hotel, um, which is probably his biggest budget film and biggest certainly biggest cast film to date yeah I saw someone I wish I could remember who it was but someone described it as being like the Avengers of Wes Anderson films because it seems to have pretty much all of his kind of repertory company from his last couple of films all kind of appearing together in a big ensemble uh, piece but with uh, a couple of newbies chiefly uh, Ray Fiennes as the sort of owner or the, the manager of this the, the titular hotel who uh, in the trailer is accused of a crime and goes on the run so it uh, it looks like a bit similar in some sense to sort of the life aquatic with Steve Zissou but with uh, less of a sort of an artificial construct with, you know none of the uh, uh, sort of inside of the Belafonte uh, that you see in, in the life aquatic with Steve Zissou um, and it just looks it looks like a lot of fun mainly it, it certainly does I mean uh, I I'm not an unreserved uh, follower of uh, Mr. Anderson, or Wes Anderson that is. Uh, I do certainly love uh, quite a lot of his films, but then some of his films, namely uh, Darjeeling Limited and uh, The Life Aquatic, uh, just feel like uh, Wes Anderson light, as it were. It feels like someone just doing his thing and there's a lot of uh, talk about whether he is just making the same film over and over again and I mean let's be honest the film he is making is pretty good uh, I mean I don't perhaps subscribe to that because uh, Fantastic Mr Fox uh, felt like was a development and I also felt like uh, his last film was a development which I've forgotten the name of <laughs> instantly Moonrise Kingdom Moonrise Kingdom uh, yeah. was a development of sorts um, and uh there seems to be a bit of kind of internet snarkiness about whether he's essentially just making the same film but with an exponentially bigger cast. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, there's an idea of, like, true artists are people who just kind of have the same story and they refine it over time. I think he kind of fits that mould, except uh, his his visual style is so distinct that it can get a little bit predictable at times. Uh, I think it says something that he's one of the few sort of mainstream directors uh, sort of in in recent years whose style you can pretty much instantly tell when someone that and you can instantly kind of mock because there are lots of parodies on online and on YouTube where people just kind of do sort of say Spider-Man directed by Wes Anderson mm. and it's really really easy for people to kind of mimic that style I think really it's just him and Michael Bay are kind of the two guys currently working whose style you can instantly kind of copy and um, that is on one level that you know shows that he has a distinct vision on the other level it kind of shows that he does repeat himself a fair bit but uh, like you say the the story he's telling is a lot of fun yeah yeah it is and you know no matter what he does uh, it's always going to be worth watching and it's always going to be uh you know, him on him on an off day is always going to be better than most directors on a good day. 
Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, the other Anderson, uh, who I was toying around, they're not really related. Um, Paul Thomas. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. If they did, Mr. and Mrs. Anderson must be like just pleased as punch. Uh, of the kind Unless of, so for their other son, Paul W.S. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that guy. He's probably got six <laughs> films out this year. We probably don't want to talk about any of them. Um, so, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson is uh, ad- adapting uh, Thomas Pinchon, um, who. Uh, for those not in the know, is an author who is uh, who is best known for his cameo in The Simpsons as a uh, man with bag on head, uh, who's a, yeah a brilliant, quite brilliant, but kind of cuckoo bananas novelist who writes these kind of weird, surreal is perhaps the wrong word, kind of like deliriously uh, odd uh, books that seem to kind of take place in our world, but also kind of just not really be kind of quite right but also be kind of like almost it's hard to explain what a Torrance Pinchon novel is <laughs> to someone I'm finding out um, uh, yeah so him uh, and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson teaming up is uh, well quite an appealing uh, proposition yeah especially because the the, the work that he's uh, adapting in Heron Vice is probably uh, Pinchon's most accessible novel mm-hmm. in that there aren't uh, Fifty-page passages uh, narrated by a light bulb, yeah. as in the case of Gravity's Rainbow. Um, so, so it's a little more grounded in reality, and it's also um, just quite a sort of a funny shaggy dog story about a detective in sixties California, and it's kind of a stoner comedy. And it has the the book certainly has um, shadings of something like the long goodbye the Robert Altman film or the Big Lebowski which definitely seems like it could be an antecedent to it in terms of tone and style you know just someone who's kind of constantly stoned and stumbling through this weird conspiracy and these uh, you know sort of crooked land deals and things like that and uh, I think that that's that could be interesting for Paul Thomas Anderson because he's never really made a a pure comedy Um, Boogie Nights is really funny in places Mm. But I think you'd struggle to kind of say that that is an out-and-out comedy, particularly sort of once you get to the midway point and uh, William, William H. Macy is blowing his face off. You know, it's not as funny as, as other things, as, as pure comedies. Whereas, uh, although there are there's a darkness to Inherent Vice in a sense of, you know, a way of life that's going to come crashing to an end once the 60s is over, uh, it's still quite light-hearted and funny and uh, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he does with it uh, whether he's going to stick really close to it because obviously Pinchon's a revered novelist or if he's going to do what he did with There Will Be Blood and just kind of go on his own sort of flight of fancy Yeah, I mean, I mean we are speculating as well that it's going to be released this year because there's no actual official release date in it but I mean considering uh, the film is is has been in the can for quite a while um, it's pretty safe to say it'll be out in the next 12 months yeah, I think the people seem to think that it will hit Cam, um, or at the very least, it'll be ready for sort of the winter film festivals like Toronto and things like that. So hopefully, we'll see it this year, or we'll be talking about it on our 2015 preview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're probably still talking about Monuments Men, Snowpiercer, <laughs> uh, waiting for those to set up. Um, 
In terms of blockbusters, uh, I suppose the uh, necessary evil we talk about, uh, there is some actually interesting stuff coming out this year. I think in the wake of Gravity um, coming out this year, there's there's some kind of fairly highbrow science fiction coming out, even though someone pointed out the other day that Gravity is not a science fiction film. It's just a film set in space. Yeah, because there's not really anything in it that couldn't happen in real life. In fact, it's, it is very kind of specifically set in... Well, obviously, the physics is has been much discussed as not being, strictly speaking, real. Mm. Um, I think that there's a lot of... It, it is kind of presented as something that doesn't have aliens, it doesn't have tech that doesn't exist. Yeah. So it's really just a drama that takes place in space. Yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, we've got a couple of highbrow... Uh, I suppose you can call them highbrow, uh, but there, Christopher Nolan's got Interstellar coming out, uh, which we had a trailer for uh, a few weeks ago. But it's clearly quite effects heavy. The film, so there's not really much in it. Apart from a little bit of Matthew McConaughey driving a car, uh, and uh, we've got uh, Transcendence, which is Wally Pfister's debut. Is it his debut? Yeah, it's his debut as a director. He's obviously been working as a cinematographer for about twenty years at this point. Yeah. But this is his first. Uh, time as, as director yeah and both those films uh, are kind of promising quite a lot yeah I mean obviously Christopher Nolan is one of the most uh, commercially successful filmmakers working today and one of the most acclaimed uh, he's uh, someone who has you know uh, who has managed to sort of make blockbusters that are fairly intelligent sometimes they uh, his uh, reach exceeds his grasp a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in that regard but uh, you know his, he's got a very proven track record the last uh, original science fiction film he made of course was uh, Inception which was a huge hit and uh, much discussed uh, at the time and now and uh, I think that uh, him kind of stepping into space sounds very intriguing and obviously he's pairing with McConaughey who is rapidly become uh, a reason to watch a film instead of a reason to avoid it so I am I, I am really intrigued to see what Nolan has sort of with the, what seems to be essentially a blank check and a huge canvas to kind of play with having made so much money with the Batman films mm. so uh, if whether it's good or bad you know it'd be interesting to see if uh, what he does with it and if he just completely blows his, uh, his stock in Hollywood uh, and Transcendence uh, Johnny Depp and Rebecca Hall is kind of uh, all I know about it is, is, is they're still quite kind of sketchy on detail yeah it seems to be about the sort of idea of artificial intelligence and sort of the, the singularity and stuff like that uh, interestingly enough that's it's interesting that you know now so if you had said five years ago oh there's two science fiction com- films coming out one stars Johnny Depp and one stars uh, Matthew McConaughey I would have probably been a lot more excited about the uh, Johnny Depp one mm. whereas uh, based on their both of their recent form uh, it's kind of the other way around but uh, uh, Johnny Depp's one of those guys who did so much good work before he just went complete shit mm. uh, that I really want him to turn it around Yeah. Uh, and so every time he has a film coming out I root for him to succeed and uh, I kind of feel the same with uh, with Transcendence, even if uh, I want it to be good, just because I want him to do good work. Mm, yeah, um, Marvel have got a big year this year, um, both in the kind of Avengers universe and also kind of the expanded universe. They've got uh, the new X Men film uh, coming out, the Days of Future Past. Uh, Brian Singer returning to the franchise after Brett Ratner kind of threatened to derail it. 
Yeah, and after Matthew Vaughan sort of saved it, but not really, mm-hmm. uh, because X Men First Class wasn't as successful as I think people would have ex- would have hoped it would be. But uh, and I think the way they've gone about it by roping the original cast in, you know, what well, not roping them in, they're adapting a, a, a very famous storyline from the comics, you know, where both the future and past versions of the characters are involved in a sort of a very big plot involving trying to save the world. Uh, that obviously has its basis in the comics, but it does feel like they're going, well, people haven't really caught on with this cast, so let's bring in the one they like. Mm. Uh, so I think, it, which in some ways, kind of, you also kind of get the feeling that that's happened with uh, Batman versus Superman. No one, no one was that enthusiastic about Man of Steel, so let's just throw Batman in. Um, yeah, but I, 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 I'm quite excited for it because I do like all the actors involved, and you know, Brian Singer's X Men films are still the best versions of those characters in that story. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I'm good. It'll be interesting to see him return. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two we've got coming out. Uh, a wholly unnecessary sequel to a wholly unnecessary uh, franchise reboot, which was just staggeringly popular for some reason. I'm not entirely sure who's watching these films, but why on earth have we got a second one? Uh, the first one did just well enough. I mean, it didn't tank, mm. but it kind of—it was really weird. It was like a blockbuster that happened and made, like you say, it made a really big amount of money. It made like $250 million in the US alone. But as soon as it, uh, as soon as people saw it, they stopped talking about it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was utterly forgettable except for, you know, the stuff that was a little annoying or the only thing you could really say about it was, you know, that's very like the one we saw ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, staggeringly so. Um, and this one uh, just looks like it's going to be a train wreck because they're, they're jumping straight to Spider-Man 3 territory with multiple villains, all of whom look terrible. <laughs> Yeah, I think Jamie Foxx's Electro Man, or whatever he's called, is probably could be one of the daftest we've seen. Yeah, but even uh, Paul Giamatti as the Rhino, it's just it just doesn't make any damn sense. Mm. Uh, but the image of him screaming in a tracksuit is uh, a sight to behold. So I can't wait to see what that's like in motion. Yeah, I can wait. I can wait very long time to see that. Yeah. We've got the Captain America sequel, The Winter Soldier. Uh, I have to admit, uh, of all the Avengers uh, standalone films, uh, I really do like the Captain America uh, one that we had. I felt it was like a nice little kind of throwback film. I find Chris Evans to be a uh, enjoyable screen presence. I thought it was a very nice melancholy feel to a to a blockbuster. And uh, yeah, we've got another adventure with him. And uh, is the Winter Soldier? What's what's the story behind that? Uh, they seem to be very sketchy on details but the Winter Soldier I, I think is meant to be another sort of super soldier that he is uh, forced into combat with because his very sort of straight shooting uh, very sort of morally uh, well defined worldview clashes with the slightly greyer one that you see with shields mm-hmm. and uh, based on the trailers that have been released it seems that the villain really will be Shield, or at least uh, the sort of uh, one of the senior agents played by Robert Redford, who seems to want to force uh, Captain America to be someone that he isn't, and to kind of do things that he finds morally disagreeable. 
and uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they exploit that because that's something that you know has, has come through quite a lot in the, the comics in recent years and is something that has been used to great effect to kind of make someone who is so in the past has been such a patriotic figure sort of more relevant to a world in which sort of patriotism is kind of a double-edged sword and is kind of treated with a little bit of uh, a kind of a little bit of scepticism mm. so yeah I'm, I'm very much uh, kind of looking forward to that one and then Obviously, that's all building towards uh, the Age of Ultron, which is uh, next year, 2015. We'll be harping on about that. Um, but I suppose the biggest film that Marvel have got out this year is, is well, could be uh, a massive gamble because it's uh, they're kind of making a big screen adaptation of a comic which is perhaps not quite as well known as the Avengers or as uh, kind of established as like X-Men or Spider-Man or whatever but it's uh, also could be a gamble that pays off royally but it's just a bit kind of left field I'm talking about uh, the new screen version of Guardians of the Galaxy which for those who don't know is about a team of kind of like guys who go around doing stuff I think that's accurate uh, some are human, some are raccoons and one is a tree yes as you say it's uh seems like it could be a very serious gamble um, the whole progression really with the, the Marvel universe, cinematic universes they started with uh, Iron Man which was kind of an attempt to ground all of the comic book stuff in something resembling reality and then you know Hulk kind of pushes that a little bit and then um, you know Thor obviously introduces the idea of intergalactic beings and takes it to a sort of a different level and really a different genre, makes it kind of a fantasy series and each one they've kind of pushed the rounds of what they can do in a comic book film slightly uh, and it's worked more or less mm-hmm. um, those films have been successful and it never feels as if they're kind of too weird or breaking the bank too much but like as you say Guardian of the Galaxy doesn't have the name recognition of a Thor and um, has a talking a wise talking raccoon and a walking tree uh, it just yeah it just seems like it might be a bit too weird but if it pays off then I think Marvel will have proved that they can do nothing wrong mm. yeah if you can make a hit of that you can probably do anything really yeah and it doesn't have a a Robert Downey Jr uh, to kind of lead it does it we're talking you know Chris Pratt is the lead and I mean, he's kind of obviously popular in a couple of sitcoms uh, you know he's doing some voice work coming up this year but he's not someone you'd kind of hang a marquee on um, I think Bradley Cooper is the voice of the raccoon but again it's a raccoon <laughs> so yeah Vin Diesel is the voice of a tree which seems within his range great casting uh, <laughs> he is uh, you know of he's kind of in the mahogany range as his actor acting ability um, yeah uh, he's more kind of like wood chip uh, <laughs> I'd say Um but yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm kind of fascinated as to see what's going to happen with that because uh, I don't know whether people who don't know about it, haven't read the comics, aren't familiar, might go to the cinema and just be like, uh, okay, there's a talking talking rat. Yeah, I think it's probably the the clearest case of uh, the clearest test of whether or not Marvel, just as a brand, is strong enough to make a film a success. Because mm. that's really all it has going for it is that it's a Marvel film, and uh, that and everything else about it is just so weird that you have to wonder if 
they have enough goodwill with people so that they'll go along with it. Um, I'm not entirely sure that they have because I think that all the other previous films have had a stronger premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I have a, a great deal of faith in James Gunn, who I think is a very, very good filmmaker who's made lots of I really like, uh, and who's got a very interesting dark sensibility. Mm. So uh, I think it will be if it's. Uh, I think what we might see is a slightly lower opening weekend than we usually see. But if the reviews are good, that it kind of does well in the long term. Mm. I'd be very surprised if it's an out of the box kind of hit in the way that Iron Man was. Right. Okay. Right, cool. Well, we'll see how that turns out. Um, I'm hoping for a disaster, just because uh, I think <laughs> Marvel need to keep it in check. Um, but yeah, um, we've also got uh, a couple of biblical epics, uh, as if we're suddenly in the 1950s all over again. Uh, we've got uh, Noah, which is Darren Aronofsky's new film with Russell Crowe as Noah. And yes, the Noah, the guy who built that big boat, uh, although he didn't. Um, but it seems to be very serious and very kind of uh, uh, heavy. Uh, and then we've got Exodus, which is Ridley Scott's, um, not a biopic of Bob Marley and the Whalers, uh, but of uh, some guy called Moses. Yeah, um, I think it's, it's these are both very strange, because like you say, uh, the idea of doing a biblical epic uh, seems like something that's been out of style for like 50 years. Mm. And so to have two come along at once seems incredibly strange, although the Aronofsky one does sound completely insane mm. uh, because um, he's been very free in his adaptation and there's stuff like 12-foot-tall, uh, six-armed warrior angels right. uh, fighting in it. And, uh, yeah, and, and uh, it's caused a lot of controversy because they've had test screenings for religious and non-religious audiences and apparently with non-religious audiences it plays okay but with religious audiences they really dislike it (laughs) because he's made so many changes Um, which is interesting that's an interesting approach to making a film that's clearly geared uh, trying to tap into the religious market to make one that really annoys them yeah Um, and it's not really a solid like base material is it it's pretty sketchy the actual story yeah Uh, so I, I can see why he would want to kind of throw new elements into it but the elements he's included do sound deranged, mm. which obviously uh, entices me to see it because, um, really, there as you say, there's not a huge amount to the Noah story. Yeah. So throwing in a few warrior angels seems like the right move. Yeah, and Aronofsky is someone who I mean I don't like all his films. I mean, and some of them are, are downright downright dislike, but it's always worth watching. So yes, that could be. Uh, it might be terrible, but it will be terrible in some kind of grand, ludicrous way. Yeah, whereas Ridley Scott's someone whose films I, I think more often dislike than like. Yeah, I mean, so I don't have huge hope for Exodus. Yeah, I mean, we've we've kind of talked about Ridley Scott's films on here before, but you know, we'll be honest, he's kind of trading off past glories quite considerably. And uh, uh, if we're if we're hundred percent honest, uh, the last great film he made uh, was in nineteen eighty two, and that's quite a long time ago. Yeah, he's got two undisputed masterpieces and then everything else is very disputable. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm not expecting Exodus to uh, reverse the trend. Yeah. Um, especially because it seems a lot safer than Noah. It seems to be sticking very close to the traditional story. Yeah, it doesn't have any six-armed warrior angels turning up. 
Uh, more's the pity. Yeah, that's a real shame. Um, so yeah, we've also got uh, Godzilla. Uh, I mean, I actually watched the 98 Godzilla reboot uh, a couple of months ago, uh, and that is absolutely diabolically bad. Um, but I've actually got quite a lot of uh, hope for this Godzilla um, because it's our man of monsters fame who is uh, at the at the helm. Yes, Gareth uh, Edwards, who is you know monsters, I really really like. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, take on the monster movie that had a nice sort of satirical bent to it, and you know examining the immigrant experience, and which made great use of uh, an incredibly limited budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he made it for I think maybe a million pounds, uh, but it looked like it cost about thirty or forty million to make. It was a really really impressive piece of work, um, and you can see that it why someone would look at that and think, yeah, we should trust this guy with an actual budget, and you know they have, and uh, the the trailers so far don't make don't kind of suggest a great deal about it, but you know it's got a considerably better cast than the nineteen ninety eight Godzilla. Uh, got Brian Cranston who's always worth watching absolutely um, and uh, you know the, the effects are really more hinted at than anything but the, the the few glimpses that have been shown of Godzilla make him look very cool right and I'm, I'm yeah like, like you I'm cautiously optimistic for it based on the sort of pedigree of the people involved and the fact that you know Godzilla as a character is so iconic that you'd really have to be a hack like Roland Emmerich to fuck it up. Mm. Yeah, and that is uh, that film is a massive fuck up. It's it, that is diabolical. I think we could probably do like dedicate a whole episode to how shit and ludicrous uh, the Godzilla remake is because uh, you know yeah. you, you could kind of uh, you could lose your mind uh, deconstructing that film. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really is a uh, steaming jet. Of uh, loose bowel water, uh, but yes, uh, hugely entertaining one to uh, to talk about. Um, we've got a film uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which sounds interesting, looks interesting. It's Tom Cruise, little that little fella, um, and uh, Doug Lyman of Swingers fame, and also yeah, you wouldn't think the guy who directed Swingers will all of a sudden be like a bankable uh, action director, uh, but he is now somehow. I don't know what that's about um, but yeah Tom Cruise in an exoskeleton looks quite cool yes uh, it does um, It's they jettisoned the stranger and but more memorable title of All You Need Is Kill yeah um, which was a title I was never really on board with mm. Gramma- um, grammatically baffling yeah grammatically baffling but hard to kind of shake mm. um, and uh, it sounds like a science fiction or well I was going to say a science fiction take on Groundhog Day, but Groundhog Day kind of is science fiction anyway. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's essentially the idea is that uh, the uh, the character that Tom Cruise plays uh, dies and sort of has to repeat the last kind of moments of his life over and over again to try and, you know, reach some sort of aim uh, in in a way that's kind of similar, reminiscence of uh, Source Code, the uh, really quite solid Duncan Jones film mm. and uh, it's a really cool interesting premise it, but as you say the Tom Cruise in an exoskeleton looks like it'd be quite fun and uh, it can't be worse than Oblivion which actually wasn't that bad but you know yeah so it could I, be I, worse I, than Oblivion then it could be worse than Oblivion yeah that's true mm. uh, but uh, I, I I've you know I, I like uh, Doug Lyman a fair bit he's uh, a very mercurial talent who just kind of jumps between genres um, 
admittedly the last sci-fi film he made was Jumper, mm-hmm. which was terrible. Yeah, it was but, bad. Um, but hopefully, uh, second time's the charm. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of second times, the charm and sci-fi segue. Uh, Robocop's getting a reboot, uh, which is, well, no. Who ordered it? I certainly didn't. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Robocop should have been left, should have been uh, shot to pieces and left at the bottom of the warehouse after the third one, which was uh, absolutely fucking diabolical film. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as a character, you know, the, the original Robocop, I think, is just one of the best films of the 80s. It's a wonderful satire. It's a really funny and really exciting action film. And it's iconic in so many ways. Uh, and everything that's come afterwards has just diluted it so badly. Mm. Um, I think that there's reasons to be hopeful about the remake. Um, it's directed by the guy who did the Elite Squad film, uh, Squad films in Brazil, which are really, really good, really intense uh, action films with plenty of uh, police corruption and and uh, you know people running through favelas and being terrified, which is all all good stuff. But it's not really doesn't really suggest that he'd be fit to direct RoboCop. And uh, from what I hear, it doesn't sound like there's much of a satirical edge to this one. So it will be just a in much the same way that the Total Recall remake was just Total Recall with the fun sucked out. Uh, this kind of has the same feeling to it, but. Uh, if they just kind of go off the the original sort of template, I think it could still be a pretty solid action film. But obviously, nowhere near as good as the original. Mm. It's just I I just doubt whether they could ever um, bring in a kind of uh, villain as kind of camp, but also incredibly menacing as Clarence Boddicker. That's very true. There's there's no one no. He's a very unique villain in that regard because he is very kind of uh, ostentatious mm. and and quite a little silly in places but at the same time he is you know after you see him dispatch Murphy the start of the film you never once doubt that he is a horrifying and terrifying individual mm. and that's a difficult balance to make yeah and he also looks like like a middle management or an accountant <laughs> guy but then he does like kneecap someone and then pull a pin on a grenade and then watch them kind of squirm around until they die yeah, that's the the interesting thing is he does look like a sitcom dad, which obviously Kurtwood Smith uh, eventually did become. Yeah. Um, so you know they should have gone for Cranston. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Again. Yeah. Um, uh, what kind of our last blockbuster we're going to look at? Um, we're also going to, um, as we always do, make the public aware of uh, the cinematic menace. Um, there is Michael Bay. Um, this is uh, this year's instalment of Michael Bay Watch. Right, we kind of thought it was over, Ed. Uh, we thought that Transformers 3, Dark Side of the Fallen, or whatever it was called, uh, was the last we'd have to suffer. I mean, and, you know, we don't have to suffer, but we do so, so you guys don't have to. Um, but it's happening again, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just, it's, I don't, what, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, we've got a fourth Transformers film. Uh, oh. Michael... Michael Bay returns as the director even though he said he was going to finish with the third one but then again he said he was done after the second one and came back for the third so he's kind of like Michael Corleone 
yeah. just when they thought he was out. They pull him back in. Mm. They pull him back in with money, yeah. big sacks of money. Um, he seems to have jettisoned most of the cast of the previous film, and he's subbed in Mark Wahlberg, um, which isn't really, you know, I, I mean, at least he's not a plagiarist, so he's got that over Shia Buff. Yeah. Um, although it does make me wonder who Shia LaBeouf was copying in the previous three Transformers films um, and uh, they're throwing in Dinobots I believe because it's called Age of Extinction um, and you know, I've just at this point I've just stopped caring about anything that, to do with the Transformers films they're such depressingly cynical attempts to grub money out of people who have sort of vague affection for a cartoon series that went off the air over 30 years like nearly 30 years ago mm. um, but by sucking all of the fun out of it <laughs> yeah and it, it takes quite something to suck the fun out of giant robots punching each other in the face um, especially ones that have turned into robots from dinosaurs which is, as a premise is is suitably daft um, but you know they seem to kind of yeah wring all the, any enjoyment out of it that they possibly can that nastiness aside let's move on to some films we actually want to see uh, we've got uh, Jason Reitman's new film Labor Day uh, coming out which uh, obviously excited for because uh, he's interesting I'm not quite as on board with him as anyone else although uh, I am growing into admiration of him uh, the more I watch his films um, I think they initially leave me cold and then I watch them again and they kind of grow on me a bit um, what's Labor Day about and uh uh, when's it due? Because we've got. Uh, I think the reason I started that bit of waffle was that uh, critical reaction has been a bit lukewarm. Yeah, Labor Day is uh, his sort of latest and that adaptation of a book about. Uh, actually, Labor Day is uh, one of the films we talked about last year that uh, was delayed. Right. I think okay. because the uh, because the reaction was a little lukewarm and they they felt it didn't really stand a chance at the awards this year. Uh, in it, uh, Kate Winslet plays a, a mother who, uh, whose son, along with her son, uh, find this uh, escaped convict who they take home and they kind of form a little surrogate family. And um, it seems that the the response to it has been sort of people don't seem to know what it's meant to be because it's quite melodramatic, but it's also got a very just kind of strange and ridiculous premise uh, and it's something it, I think that what I've heard about it is that it feels like sort of a melodrama from about 40 years ago well actually longer maybe something from sort of the 50s or 60s but transposed to now with modern day actors mm. but not not in a kind of an overly reverential Todd Haynes sort of way more in just kind of a why has anyone made this film now sort of way so the the, the most interesting things I've heard about it is that it's kind of nutty uh, in a way that people wouldn't have expected from Jason Reitman whose films tend to be uh, can be a little safe like Juno's not an especially edgy film it's just edgy enough to kind of uh, entice people who don't watch much kind of edgy cinema Yeah. Um, I think this one they say is, is it just kind of feels like a bizarre story told in a really odd way so uh that that alone has made me interested to see it more than if it got like really respectful reviews. Yeah, it, it's nice to see him being divisive because uh, his films are generally liked. Yeah, I think um, Young Adult was was kind of divisive compared to you know Up in the Air, which was just generally quite liked. Mm. Whereas Young Adult was something that 
a few people really really loved and everyone else kind of fell on a, a, a spectrum so uh, I'm hoping for the same with uh, Labor Day um, Spike Jones has got a new film out uh, which is also a bit nutty uh, we've got uh, Joaquin Phoenix starring in a film called Her which I believe is about a man falling in love with his operating system yes and which has been providing some fun fodder with uh, with the real Siri uh, I don't know if you've seen um, that they've had uh, the, if you ask Siri questions like are you her uh, it comes up with different answers and uh, what the original answer it gave was no I feel she badly represents artificial intelligence <laughs> And they've since changed it to say things like, Joaquin, is that you? Um, and um, no, she is a fictional construct. I am an alternate, I am a digital persona, but we can still be friends. Mm. And stuff like that. It's, <laughs> Siri has been has had some very interesting responses uh, to it. Yeah, um, I, I would ask Siri if, you, if she's her, but you'd probably just direct me to my local text Tesco's. <laughs> by mistake because it's not the most reliable piece of technology yeah it has trouble picking up accents mm, yeah but uh, her it sounds very very interesting you know as you say it's about a man who falls in love with his operating system um, it's uh, I like the fact over here and I think over in the UK as well it's being sold with the tagline a Spike Jones love story which is um, so evocative um, and it seems to say quite a lot about the film essentially saying yeah, this isn't really like anything you've ever seen. But uh, from what I hear, it's very insightful about modern relationships, even though it's based on an idea that on its face seems completely ridiculous. And, uh, you know, like I love Spike Jones. I love all every film he's done. Um, I think he's a really fantastic and interesting talent. And obviously, Joaquin Phoenix is just a wonderful actor. So I am... Really excited to see that. I'm probably going to go and see it this week because it's just opened near me, um, and I am really, really excited for it. And uh, Mr. Phoenix has grown a stunning moustache for the role. It is uh, truly magnificent, uh, and the sort of thing that I would like to grow for Halloween. But I would be afraid that if I went as Joaquin Phoenix in her for Halloween, I would just be mistaken for a sex offender. Mm. Yeah, it is that kind of look. Um, we've got Only Lovers Left Alive coming this year, a film which has been lauded at festivals. Uh, it's the new Jarmusch film. Uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, Tom Hiddleston, uh, and vampires. What more could you want? That's it, really. I mean, like, I really like uh, Jim Jarmusch. I didn't like his last film, The uh, um, Limits of Control, which I thought was a very dreary experience. Um, but uh, the idea of him tackling vampires in his kind of very wry deadpan style or undeadpan style I guess <laughs> uh, with those two actors and, and uh, Mia Wasikowska who's in it as well uh, they're, they're three uh, performers who I like a great deal uh, and I, I really really am excited to see what he does with the vampire story um, we've also got Jonathan Glazer coming back this year uh, Jonathan Glazer the uh, one time commercials director who made his debut with a film called Sexy Beast and then uh, it's a very interesting film in a, in a genre that felt so kind of kind of tired and well worn out the British gangster film and he kind of uh, revitalised it but also killed it off which was nice uh, he kind of followed that up with Birth which is uh, a hugely underrated film um, 
and now he's moving on to Under the Skin. He seems to be a director who takes his time picking what he's doing, um, and when he does something, it's going to be worth paying attention to. Yeah, especially ve- uh, veering into you know science fiction with a story of uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson playing a sexy alien. Mm. So uh, I- I'm hoping it's a reboot of the Species franchise. Oh, I love Species. <laughs> I think Species One, given the fact that it's about an alien who like seduces men in order to kind of replicate his cast is like ridiculous. He's got like Forrest Whitaker, Ben Kingsley. I mean that's that's two Oscar heavyweights right there. Uh, granted, it has got like Michael Madsen in and kind of like loads of other people. But I mean, sweet Jesus, that's a uh, cast that people would kill for. Yeah, and it's in a sort of a very cheesy B movie. Mm. Uh, so I think it's uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Species, I think, is very underrated and uh, bizarre. Mm. But uh, hopefully, I think uh, Under the Skin seems to be a uh, slightly more serious take on that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I expect that to be kind of um, uh, one of the better reviewed films of the year. If nothing else, just because Jonathan Glazer is behind it and people seem to go nuts for him. Uh, I'd like to say he's very interesting. Uh, Another director who is very interesting, and you can never call this guy boring, is uh, Mr. Lars von Trier, who has a five-hour porno coming out called Nymphomaniac. Yeah, I think that's a bit too much, really. I think most people will be spent after the first ten minutes. Literally spent. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's a film that has kind of A-list stars uh, digitally melded with, uh, well, hardcore porn actors actually having the sex. For a great deal of time. Um, which, uh, you know, I think it, it's interesting in just in general because Lars von Trier is a very... Uh, very strange filmmaker someone who um, every film he makes is always uh, something that's worthy of of, uh, comment even though not all of them are good Um, I personally don't really care much for breaking the waves but uh, you know it's a film that I could talk about endlessly because Mm. it's it's not an easy film to forget Um, and uh, you know I I have this thing with, with Lars von Trier films where every time he has a new film coming out all the stuff he does around it makes me forget that he's one of my favourite filmmakers because mm-hmm. I find him as a personality so grating and so kind of uh, annoying as someone who just kind of constantly seems to be trying to push buttons for no good reason that I forget that I really really like most of his films and particularly his recent run of films you know I've really really liked Antichrist I thought Melancholia was really cool and really interesting and this seems to kind of continue in his kind of vein of uh, films exploring the kind of uh, psychosexual life of women, also featuring Charlotte Gainsbury. Uh, yeah, Charlotte Gainsbury, who seems to be his kind of uh, his go-to at the moment for playing uh, battered women. <laughs> well, not battered women, but you know, sort of very kind of uh, broken and abused women. Um, and uh, I, th- I think it's the idea of him kind of exploring that sort of area for five hours fills me with dread as much as it does excitement yeah we think that's going to go straight to streaming isn't it yeah it's it's uh, it's got a weird release pattern I think Denmark is getting the full four and a half hour cut or whatever it is in a single viewing but then all of the te- territories will have uh, sort of limited runs where it will open in theatres part one one month part two the second month and then goes uh, streaming as well mm. so 
it seems like people will have plenty of opportunity to see it, but they are uh, acknowledging the fact that uh, it's not probably not got the broadest appeal <laughs> outside of cineast kind of circles. We've got uh, the Lego movie coming out, which is, uh, you know, two years ago, you would have said, they're making a CGI film about Lego. would have been like, whatevs. Uh, but with the uh, the the directors of uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and Twenty One Jump Street, a film, two films that we're both greatly enamoured with, um, they've seemed to have done, judging by the trailer, uh, a film that is going to be incredibly funny. Yes, I mean, uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I, I think, is one of the best comedies the last sort of five or six years. You know, I think it's it's relentlessly uh, inventive and. It just has this kind of real uh, sense of fun to it. Not not just is it funny, but it really feels like the people making it are having a ball, trying to think of ways in which you can kind of play with, you know, all these different creations and you know all these different uh, insane ideas with food. And uh, I think that the Lego Movie feels like it, it continues very much in that vein, which is essentially you are given, you know, the, the whole point of Lego is that you you can create anything you like. And being given that and being given license to use all of the uh, characters that uh, Lego have the rights to. So you can have, you know, Batman and uh, Superman in it, even though uh, they're not voiced by the sort of real, in inverted commas, Batman and Superman in the real life films. Uh, you know, it, obviously they're having just a ball kind of throwing these characters together. Mm. And... Um, I am I am really really excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, I think that should be good. Um but yeah, like if, if you're not convinced watch the trailer and you'll be sold. Chris Pratt of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy non-raccoon fame is the uh, the uh, the kind of uh, lead in that one. Uh, we've got Jupiter Ascending, uh, the Wachowskis who Cloud Atlas uh, seemed to claw back a lot of ground they lost. Um, with kind of some the Matrix sequels and Speed Racer, uh, they've got a new film out which just sounds fucking mental. Yes, big budget sci-fi film with uh, Channing Tatum, who had a great 2012 and a not so great 2013. But then again, kind of wasn't really in anything this year, mm. uh, last year. Um, and uh, Mila Kunis, and uh, the trailer for it looks visually very stunning. But also, it seems that I mean the the title alone kind of suggests they're getting into sort of hard sci-fi uh, areas, which uh, suggests that it might not do that well commercially. But uh, like you say, I I really rated Cloud Atlas. Uh, I thought they they had a very good stab at making a, an unfilmable book into a re into a into a film, and uh, I, I really am interested in seeing what they do with original material mm. um, again. Because uh, they have clawed back a lot of credibility with me personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for like, I mean, I'm struggling to forgive them for the second two Matrix films, and I don't even like the first one. But like, the second two were like, I don't know, that that they were bad. Uh, but you know, I cut anyone some slack. Um, just not Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> we've got a really, really fascinating film coming out uh, that I'm, I'm deeply intrigued by uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Anelito there you go that's I believe the exact pronunciation of his name who directed uh, Amoros Peros uh, which many people dismissed as a kind of a Tarantino knockoff but he's actually way better than uh, than you know it's given credit for um, he's directing a film called Birdman 
which is about a uh, actor who played a superhero in a movie. Uh, the superhero was called Birdman, and he just wants to be taken seriously as an actor now, but he can't be because people still associate him with being Birdman. Now, what makes this film interesting is that Birdman and the actor who plays Birdman is played by Michael Keaton, who is an actor who played a character called Batman in a film and then kind of wanted to be taken seriously after that, but kind of wasn't, and kind of slipped into kind of supporting roles and playing a talking snowman in the film Jack Frost. This all sounds interesting. I mean, the combination of that premise and the director is okay, but then the cast includes people like Emma Stone and Edward Norton and Zach Galifianakis and Naomi Watts and Amy Ryan, and in that whole kind of crazy-sounding mess... I think that that's got to be good, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that kind of leaves me a little bit dubious about it is uh, the fact that, you know, Inaritu isn't someone who really is renowned for comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can laugh at Beautiful, but that's not that's not because it's intentionally funny. Mm. Um, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see him stretch himself, but like, as you say, with a premise like that, which is kind of... Uh, nutty and obviously has a fun metafictional uh, aspect to it and with that cast uh, it, there is a lot of potential for it to be very good and I do really want Michael Keaton to just be uh, being something really good again because he hardly seems to be anything I mean he's in that that episode of 30 Rock mm. and the other guys I loved him in the other guys he is very funny he doesn't want no scrubs yeah, no. And that bit where he's uh, he's he's working a second job is like a manager of a hardware store, and he's he's getting his his like his briefings mixed up. So he's briefing his staff on like sales targets and stuff, but he's talking to him about like a serial rapist. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, we've got a film called How to Catch a Monster, which is uh, the first, uh, or well, we could call it a directorial debut of uh, Mr. Ryan Gosling. Um, uh, sex icon, uh, good-looking man, and sometime actor. Uh, he's directing what is being billed as a fantasy neo-noir about a single mother and a young son who discover a path into a city under the sea, which sounds weird, uh, uh, but it's also great. Uh, the cast includes Matt Smith, who you told me before we went on air, uh, shaved his head for the role and quit Doctor Who. I mean, I don't really watch Doctor Who, so I don't really know what's going on with that. Um, Christina Hendricks is in it, uh, Eva Mendes, and Ben Mendelsohn, who we are uh, big fans of uh, from Animal Kingdom. Um, yeah, I mean, that again, another film that sounds kind of bafflingly uh, off kilter, but with the ingredients, uh, surely got to have something about it. Yeah, the only thing that kind of keeps me at arm's length with that one is. I think um, there tends to be when a, an actor steps behind the camera, they tend to kind of struggle a bit uh, when they kind of make their debut because perhaps they don't make it as sort of visually dynamic as they could be, and they focus a little too much on just performance, uh, which is fine, but sometimes can make for films that are a little bit drab and uninvolving. Um, mm-hmm. But the premise of that is so bizarre that it kind of makes me think that it'd be hard to make it dull. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of exactly what I'm thinking. Um, but we'll see how Ryan Gosling attempts to make that doll uh, <laughs> later on in the year. Um, we've got quite a lot of sequels coming out this year because, you know, it's a year in cinema and it wouldn't be uh, a year without sequels. But we've got some quite 
kind of exciting sequels sound like to films that we genuinely like. We've got the Muppets sequel coming out, which even the inclusion of Ricky Gervais uh, is struggling to put us off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it has. A, I think it's got less of a meta kind of quality to it, which was uh, you know one of the things that was really nice about the previous one is that it did have that whole idea that it was a a film about the Muppets, which was about how no one really knows who the Muppets are anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this one just seems to be a fairly straightforward caper, but you know it's got Tina Fey, it's got currently it has Danny Trejo in it. I mean, Danny Trejo filmed a scene for the first one was cut out, so it might not have him in when it actually hits theaters. Um, yeah. But I'm always in. I'm always in fan of putting uh, former uh, gang member and drug addict uh, Danny Trejo in kids' films. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I'm quite looking forward to that one. Uh, 22 Jump Street uh, I'm a big fan of 21 Jump Street I know you enjoyed it too it's uh, the guys who did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs they're back for this one and if the trailer's anything to go by it's more of the same uh, kind of uh, belly laughing and uh, if the progression of films is anything to go by the guys have gone from high school to college yeah so they still look ridiculously too old to be there uh, <laughs> constantly joking about that but obviously it's a slightly different setting so New, uh, new opportunities, and uh, I like the fact that they have uh, brought Rob Riggle back and make a big point in the trailer about talking the fact that he does, still doesn't have a penis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the level of uh, of comedy we're dealing with here. Um, yeah, and the, you know the, the first one did end with Rob Riggle picking up his own penis with his mouth. Um, so hopefully we'll have more of the same. I, I don't want them to PG thirteen it because it was uh, an awful lot of fun. I laughed like a drain throughout um, we've also got a sequel to uh, what I consider to be one of the best mainstream animated films of the like, last five or six years uh, How to Drain Your Dragon oh sorry How's How to Drain Your Dragon uh, that would be weird How to Train Your Dragon is getting a sequel um, uh, there's lots of books in the series so they've obviously got material to uh, mine um, are you excited for that one? I am, yeah. I mean, the first one was one I missed in theatres and, and then caught up with later and was just really, really impressed by. Um, I thought visually it was really stunning. I thought it had a really nice heart to it. Um, gen- genuinely surprising in places. I mean, it's not often you see a animated film that ends with a hero losing a leg, mm-hmm. um, which isn't a spoiler because if you watch the trailer for the second one, that's something that's kind of obvious is that he doesn't have a leg anymore. Um mm. And, uh, you know, the the friendship between him and Toothless was genuinely heartwarming, and I'm looking forward to sort of revisiting that world and uh, exploring the the the, uh, the relationships again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and um, in my opinion, Shat All Over Brave, which uh, kind of exists in the same type of world, uh, yes. but Brave felt uh, very tired in the light of How to Train Your Dragon. Um, so a sequel, I think, is uh, you know something I'm looking forward to an awful lot. We've got we've got three kind of sequels coming out this year, which have had a, like a long gestation period, or have been kind of fairly troubled, or uh, have just kind of taken a long time to come to fruition. Uh, we've got Mad Max Two: Fury Road, um, which I, I don't know if you can call it Mad Max Two. It's kind of a Mad Max reboot, isn't it? Uh, Mad Max Two Point We should call it. Um, again I don't really know who wanted that but we've got it and it's George Miller's directing it uh, and uh, Tom Hardy is playing the road warrior Uh, 
again is, is there really any need um, yeah it's not one that I kind of feel hugely interested in apart from you know Tom Hardy who I like a great deal as an actor and I think could sort of ground an action movie well and I do like George Miller a lot The uh, I think the, the first three films in the Mad Max series are, are, are solid sort of action dystopian sci-fi films um, I don't feel this doesn't feel essential it doesn't feel like the world is crying out for a new one but uh, I'm I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about it based purely on Hardy's involvement and the mm-hmm. fact that it is Miller returning to the world he created rather than someone kind of stepping in and trying to and just kind of shitting all over it mm. yeah which is yeah I don't know whether it's it's kind of uh, uh, trying too hard to kind of just recreate that spark though because uh, I'll be honest uh, Mad Max I really like Mad Max 2 I think is an amazing piece of work mm. Tina Turner turns up in Mad Max 3 uh, maybe not but there's enough kind of weird ideas in there to kind of uh, keep it interesting so I just don't know whether it's kind of going back to the well too many times um, but speaking of someone who goes back to the same well all the time Robert Rodriguez has got another film coming out this year <laughs> he's doing a Sin City sequel um, Sin City was alright I rewatched it uh like six weeks ago um, it seems to you know capture the stylings of noir very well without actually seeming to understand what noir is about um, but it sure did look pretty yeah I think that's kind of the main thing that the, that the original Sin City had was at, you know really the comics is that they look really amazing and they kind of often excursions in various tropes and cliches of noir but you know if you really want to good noir film you know you can go back and watch one that was made in the 40s or 50s really that's where you go you don't mm. really go you don't go to Sin City for it um, and uh, you know the, the, this sequel which seems to have been in development or in production for many years because I think they shot it sort of piecemeal um, because you know the way Robert Rodriguez works is he basically kind of shoots out of a shed in his garden uh, and mm. then CGI's it up later Um I think that he, uh, you know, that it it looks like the the bar is fairly low to kind of re- for clearing it and making it half decent, really. Because mm. um, all it, all you really have to do is make it look good and tell these slightly derivative but sort of fairly violent and kinetic stories. Uh, so it doesn't it doesn't seem like it could be a great film, but. I think uh, it'd be fairly easy for them to make a decent one out of it. Yeah. Um, rounding up our 2014 um, uh, film preview, um, we'll talk about another stylistically empty comic book adaptation, uh, the 300 prequel. Uh, not bothered, don't really care. Uh, 300's terrible, isn't it? So why should I care about 300 prequel? Yeah, especially because... Um, the whole the, the 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 only sort of reason to care about three hundred is that they all die and they die in a kind of what's meant to be a very noble cause that kind of spurs on sort of greater action. So, and I don't really see why you anyone would really care to see how Xerxes got to be sort of the villain that he is in the first film. It doesn't seem like that compelling an arc, really. Um, mm. I think it doesn't bode well that the film has been pushed back quite a few times um, I think it may have originally been due to come out in 2012 
and it just keeps getting pushed back so I don't think anyone really has any confidence in it at all there's not really any interest no one really asked for it um, yeah it's just nonsense yeah uh, it might seem weird to end a podcast talking about something that neither of us want to see that might not even come out this year that is a sequel to a film that was terrible um, but that's not the end because uh, we've got to talk about TV yet which we'll briefly do because obviously we're, we're running low on time um, but there's a lot of good stuff coming out on television this year we've got you know shows returning that we like uh, Mad Men will be back again for the first part of its two part kind of split last season Orange is the New Black will be back for a new season um, various other bits and bobs we've got a few three shows that are starting this year that we're very much excited about um, we've got True Detective uh, HBO's new show tell us a little bit about that Ed uh, True Detective is the first season of a uh, an anthology show much like uh, American Horror Story uh, where the idea is that each season of the show will have an entirely new cast and uh, a new story, each one telling a real-life story of, uh, of, of a true crime investigation. Uh, the first one's got a couple of heavy hitters in there. It has uh, the uh, ever-present Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson uh, finally proving that they are not the same person because they are on yep. the screen at the same time. So it's going to be one of the most laid-back and southern uh, uh, crime shows ever made uh, and it's about them exp- uh, uh, investigating uh, murders over 20 years so it sounds like it's going to be sort of a very rigorous and very dark and philosophical series um, you know it's on HBO which is usually a sign of, of quality they tend not to make anything bad uh, then you know obviously those two actors are people I find very compelling and very interesting and two people in the right role can be really great uh, and uh, I'm I'm really really excited to see what happens with it because also it's a it's just a fascinating idea of uh, doing this a horror se- uh, not horror series doing an anthology series where you basically get really high profile people to appear in the show and then you just go okay next year we just start from scratch mm. uh, which is kind of bold and interesting yeah and if it, if it doesn't do very well it'll be like you know a couple of like straight to video stars <laughs> instead it'll be like the kind of uh, it'll be like Matthew Perry and well Matthew Perry and Matt LeBlanc that's who I'd like to see back investigating crimes over several years um, speaking of crime investigation segue uh, the TV series of Fargo is coming out which uh, initially when I heard about it I was like mm, yeah not sure about that but then as it's gone on and the closer we get to air the, the better it sounds I mean the cast alone is the cast is very interesting and it's kind of it's not an adaptation of the film it's exploring that world isn't it it's kind of set in the same kind of milieu yes so the, the idea is that it's it deals with the same sort of characters sort of uh, low lives and people just trying to get by in sort of a Minnesota town but um, it's not a directly based on the the original film and like you say it's got a pretty fantastic cast it's got uh Billy Bob Thornton, who, uh, you know, it's interesting. Again, it's always interesting when someone who's known for doing their film work shows up in a TV series. Um, you've got uh, Bob Odenkirk, who, uh, you know, you and I are both yeah, huge fans of. And uh, mm-hmm. Martin Martin Freeman uh, playing the sort of the uh, William H. Macy character uh, or, or, or equivalent. Uh, and, you know, those are all three actors I find to be absolutely fascinating. And I, I love 
the world of Fargo and I love the tone of Fargo and I really hope that uh, that that tone and that world come across in the TV series. Uh, what involvement, if any, has the Coen brothers had in this? Uh, I think they've given it their blessing, but I think they're fairly hands-off with it. I know right. they had... They were developing a detective series of their own um, a few years ago, but it was an entirely separate thing, and I think they had created like the central character in it, but uh, I think this one is more just kind of... They've obviously given it the go-ahead, or they've, they've kind of not expressed any uh, particular uh, opposition to it, but uh, it's, it's very much someone else's baby. Um... Obviously, uh, last year's best show uh, was Breaking Bad, and uh, filling the kind of void that that leaves this year, we've got the spin-off show, uh, which stars Bob Odenkirk, who uh, was in Fargo, as you said, uh, playing reprising his role of uh, Saul Goodman uh, in the uh, new show Better Call Saul. Uh, I've no idea what to make of this. Uh, when I first heard about it, I assumed it was a joke. Um, <laughs> but the more I kind of think about it, the more I think this actually could be a really good show. But I've got no idea what they're going for tonally or what. Yeah, because the the information that's kind of come out about it sounds really in, really odd because they've said it's an hour-long show and that it's going to be fairly comedic in nature. But I, 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 hour-long comedies, there's not really a thing. There's very few series I can think of that actually managed to sustain kind of comic momentum over an hour, sort of half an hour mm. seems to ha- it seems to be how it works so I think there will be a certain degree of kind of, obviously because he's a criminal lawyer and obviously deals with very dark and dangerous people there'll probably be some violence and some darkness to it but um, I can't imagine that anyway. uh, the bleakness of breaking bad and is it a prequel or is it a continuation? Do we know? Uh, I think they've said it is a prequel in that they've said that there are opportunities Be nice to see Huel in there, though. Yeah, I think Huel is definitely going to be in there because obviously uh, he's, you know, his right hand man and uh, he's just has such a wonderful deadpan sense of humour. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's 2014, everyone. Um, you don't really need to steer too far off the path that we've set out for you. Um, but if you do find anything else that we didn't say, then we probably were going to talk about it. Um, but just didn't have time. Um, so, yeah, good luck with 2014. We'll see you in 2015 uh, <laughs> for the preview and to talk about these films that didn't come out. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, until next time, uh, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.